Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Terrence Fox, Head of Innovation with iAdvise. It's a pleasure to have you here for today's conversation with session. Uh, nice to speak to you too. It's been a week, or actually two weeks since our last session. Excuse me, we had a week off. I hope you're all decked out for Halloween as I am. And uh, again, thank you for joining today's session, which is titled, What Retailers Are Doing to Not Just Enhance the Experience, but to Win at the Holidays for 2020. I'm absolutely thrilled we've stolen time from Lucille DeHart, someone I've admired in the CX space and an innovative thought leader, all around CX expert, who will share her opinion and expertise on today's and obviously moving forwards scenario for today's Always On Consumer. But a small anecdote I wanted to, to bring to the floor before diving into today's session. Um, for those of you who don't know, which I'll assume is 99% of you, uh, I grew up on a farm. We had goats, pigs, cows, chickens, and like the five sons in our house, uh, these animals ate an awful lot, right? My father used to get feed from the same, I think it was actually called uh, Warwick Feed and Grain was the name of the, the store. I think it's out of business now. But as a kid, I remember each time we, I went with him in his truck to get more feed for the animals, he'd pull up, the clerk would recognize him, and put three to four bags of sweet grain in the back for the horses and, and the other animals. My dad would throw him a 20 and, and pull away. So reflecting on it, this is obviously great service, right? He doesn't even have to get out of his car. The guy already knows what he wants, puts it in the trunk for him, gives him some cash and pulls away. And here we are today. Now uh, I'll reveal my age a little bit for you. Uh, two and a half, three decades later, uh, and Bopis, buy online, pick up in store, and buy online, pick up at curb, are stronger than ever, uh, naturally due to the, the scenario and the circumstances with the pandemic. And how strong? Adobe reported that in April 2020, Bopis boomed 208% compared to April 2019. Uh, an incisive study found that 80% of customers, this was done in September, 80% of customers expect to increase Bopis use and around 90% of shoppers prefer home delivery over a store visit in the next six months. So if they are coming to your store, it's all about safety, speed, and convenience. So actually getting to our, our star for the day uh, to get some true expertise on the subject, we're thrilled to have Lucille DeHart, as I mentioned, a thought leader in the CX space, but former director of marketing, strategy, CRM, and business development at Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, and I first met Lucille, excuse me, at the, I think it was a total retail tech conference I was very impressed with the way her expertise and her personality, I'll say, uh, seemed to blanket the entire room. Uh, she's uh, able to, to crack some jokes here and there and made for a very lively session. So I'm thrilled to have her back. Without further ado, Lucille, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Okay. Oh, there I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice to talk to you again. Thank, um, you. Thank you for that wonderful buildup. So now I have to be intelligent yes. and funny and right. somehow top your farm boat back story. That's correct. <laughs> okay. Those three items are your big hot yeah, Okay. Um, Lucille, to get into it, I like to spend some time getting into uh, our, our guests' brains, um, which is a good, good saying, I guess, for Halloween week also. Um, tell me a little bit about what you've been reading, what you've been uh, fascinated with, what you've been learning, or, or even harder question to reveal what you've been up to, Lucille. How have you been challenging yourself through the pandemic? 
Well, I, I actually did put makeup on today and a nice top for you, but there are sneakers and sweatpants under this desk. I'm wearing Lululemon shorts myself. So that's, uh, so you're welcome. Um, uh, I knew the reading question was going to come up, so I brought, I, I'm almost like this um, mad genius with books where I just keep acquiring books and read like pieces of them. But mm -hmm. um, so this is on my, my, my nightstand. Okay. <laughs> Um, there's one fiction book, which I cannot get through. Um, it's sort of like a British um, character. Uh, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I just can't get through this one, but I keep reading mm. it. I read it. I do read a lot of business books, which I know is more about what you're asking. Um, so Wisdom at Work was kind of very interesting. I picked this one up earlier in the summer and did go through most of it. Um, it's really about blending the younger talent with um, what was called the elder's wisdom uh, in a very high tech world and a connected universe. The older talent within organizations seems to be left behind. And this book is really saying how they really should play more of a mentor role and, and become more of a like a clan elder. So that's kind mm. of interesting. And then um, I was out to a business lunch with somebody um, socially distanced outside. Um, and they had recommended and sent me these two books. One is Quiet because, believe it or not, Terrence, I am an introvert. Um, no one believes me, but I test as an introvert. So the book is called Quiet. Um, so I haven't dove into that, but that's next on the docket. Um, and he also said, um, I have a very curious mind. So um, he had sent me the book A Curious Mind, which I'm really interested on. Um, I'm really diving into. And, and I think that really does speak a lot to most marketers where they have an infatuation with consumer behavior, what motivates people. And I, I'd have to say probably most people in our industry are very curious. And then right. also from one of your podcasts, um, The Forever Transaction. Um, so this one came up through uh, a referral from one of your guests, uh, really about sort of the subscription model and um, keeping customers within the loop of your brand and services, uh, yeah. which I think is very timely just given where we are uh, within the retail climate. So that's, that's my stack of to-dos. <laughs> yeah. Your, uh, your nightstand looks very much like mine. My wife picks on me a lot that I get excited about a book almost yep. just to have it. <laughs> and then I have it and I have a hard time finishing it. So, <laughs> I do um, get through them, but I take on way too many at once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a book club internally at iAdvise and I seem to be perpetually two books behind. So... Um, now, Lucille, tell me a little bit, because of course, uh, with your background at Bed Bath & Beyond and others, I'm fascinated with a consumer experience you have had lately that was either particularly memorable, uh, for either a good or a bad reason. Anything come to mind? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have good and bad, as everyone does, and uh, it's not going to be nearly as glamorous, but the one key that I always, always have is around the, the audio loop when you're dialing into organizations. And I yeah. was recently on um, a, a call trying to reach someone in the business insurance side of Liberty Mutual um, because I was looking into uh, creating an LLC for a business that I'm, I'm exploring. And I could not get to a business person. I could not get into a division that can handle me. In fact, I got into two menus and then ultimately it directed me to the website and then ultimately, are you ready for this? Because I know you're sitting down. I can't see it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it disconnected me. It legitimately 
we, you know you've reached a whole new low in society when the automated service is hanging up on you. Right. So it literally it just hung up on me. And not worth the effort. Not miss enough. I called back just so I could get hung up again. <laughs> that had to be the worst experience ever. And right. then um, I keep what kind of intelligence that. does the AI need to have in that automated environment to say, ah, this isn't worth my time. I'm going to hang up on I this. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry I'm bothering <laughs> you. I don't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where is Rosie the robot when you need her? I yes. Um, and then I would say the local, the local entities always do customer service right. Um, when I say always, for the most part, just like your farm story. See, I, I, I have a like farm story. Mm. Um, you know, I was just recently in our, our town butcher, and I wanted to get a stuffed pork chop, and they only had one left. Now, in any other retail, if that was one shirt or, you know, one object or one widget, um, you know, unless you engage with them, they probably would not proactively fulfill that, right? You just walk right. away thinking it's out of stock. But um, he saw me looking at it and he said, oh, well, how many of those did you actually want? And he made it for me, like on the spot. Now it's simple, but to me, I was just like, I was fully prepared to not take it. So not only did he fulfill the order, but he, he doubled it in a sense. Uh, I'd say the same thing with, you know, my smoothie shop. They know you by name. They know when you haven't come for a while. And it's really those human moments, um, both from the phone experience to the in-person experience. We right. keep coming back to personalization and how people are really longing for human contact. But I feel through the entire COVID, if nothing's come out of this, it's really the exaggeration of us really craving societal mm. contact. And customer experience really has to catch up because customers not only want it, they're craving it, um, and we need to figure out a way to use technology in a more productive way so customers don't feel like, you know, in my experience, I went through the automated system and got kicked out. They need to feel like somehow you're using that as a catalyst to help me, not you, because I know it's cheaper for Liberty Mutual to use the automated system, right. but it's not good for me. And until we use technology for the benefit of the customer, we're always going to have these friction moments with customer experience, either on a local scale or on a grander scale with, you know, major brands. Right. And just so you know that I wasn't doodling or doing something that I shouldn't be doing. I can't, I can't press too hard on the desk because it shakes the whole video. So I write a little bit sloppy, but I wrote down not able to get to a human at that no. time. You needed that. And that's, that's a critical thing, right? If you're trying to have that sort of, uh, like you mentioned, um, a human to human contact, or if you need that, excuse me, I, I may have put words in your mouth, uh, and you're just pushed into an automated scenario, it's frustrating, you want to get out of it, you need your problem resolved, and it's not a good experience. So you just keep hitting, you know, zero, 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 and, um, you know, as, as technology would have it, they outsmart you, and now they've programmed around that. Right. Um, so you can't really even bypass the system anymore. Again, the bigger picture is, if you're going to use technology to facilitate a customer experience, you have to have the lens of it being beneficial to the customer, right. not the lens of what saves money and time and resources on behalf of the company. Because mm. customers will catch up. Like, we, we know that. Um, I was in a chatbot loop not long ago as well, and I almost thought I was in this reality TV show, like, you know, like the Misery Index or something, where I... As sport, I was just typing in this gibberish of, you know, is this a joke? Why can't you help me? 
Yeah. I'm getting like, I don't understand your question. I don't understand your question. Right. I, uh, I, um, I have a, a client of mine that I'm in the early stages of working with, and I showed them how a typical visitor might engage with their site. And if you have a ubiquitous chat experience in the bottom right hand corner, great, but you better have a plan to make sure you're accommodating every sort of customer that hits your page. So I told him, all right, here's a scenario. I'm buying new running shoes. I've never run a marathon before. I want to ask which running shoes you might recommend. And I type in men's running shoes into this chat. And it just redirected to an FAQ about how to buy uh, a new shoe or like just giving me a list of seven items about returns and things that weren't necessarily relevant to what I was looking for. Uh, so there is a lot of it today, but like you said, brands are kind of put in a pinch because they're trying to scale while being cost efficient and feel that an automated scenario is better than nothing. But sometimes it can actually turn people off and drive them away. It isn't better than nothing. Um, I really think, you know, companies need to evaluate as they're cutting staff in brick and mortar and they are putting more resources into web build outs and technology and platform enhancements. They really have to understand that, you know, the customer should come first. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but many companies have lost that prioritization. They're all about, you know, how do we cut costs? How do we become more efficient? Um, how do we fulfill things more operationally um, and logistically to our benefit versus how does the customer want to engage with us? What is going to, like, stop putting the burden of me to find the information. Like, when you give me a link or dump me into an FAQ because you don't have the automated response to my specific question, that doesn't help me. <laughs> In fact, it, it frustrates me and it causes me to abandon that site experience and do my own research and or turn to another brand that does that. And I think one of the things that customers um, are expecting this holiday is to get some part of immediate gratification through solving problems right. and at least finding out where their, you know, where their gifts are, what the experience is like, recommendations. And I think that's going to take a lot more human engagement than the industry is prepared for just because of the sheer volume moving to online experiences more than anything else. Right. And so let's get to a big part of today's topic. Um, tell me a little bit about, of course, buy online, pick up in store, buy online, pick up at curb. It's pretty easy to understand. But tell me a little bit about how you've seen it evolve in the marketplace and, and, and what you're seeing today. Gosh, it just, it, it feels like it came out of nowhere in March, right? Where all of a sudden, other than groceries, um, everyone was just driving by stores and people throwing things into cars. Right? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, good aim, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it existed for many, many years. I don't know if you recall, you know, if the elder book did not date me more so than your story, this one will. Um, mm. There was a retailer called Bombay Company. Um, and a lot of those early furniture stores always offered curbside pickup. You would actually mm. go in the store, place the order, and rather than them give you this giant box of a table or a cadenza, they would tell you to pull around the back of the store and they would load it in there for you. Um, and stores like Crate and Barrel, Restoration Hardware, um, yep. they've been using an element of, you know, BOPAC, the buy online. In this case, it's buy in store, pick up at curbside. With the pandemic, we started to see the necessity uh, of retailers really having to change their business model. As stores were really closed because of social distancing, there became this mandate of how do we make the most of the situation and mostly around necessity supplies for customers but also just to, to maintain the business. 
right. they decided let's shift from you know not just buy online to pick up in store, which wasn't emerging, but a small piece of the overall e-com business. It was probably between Bopus and Bopac, less than five percent of e-com sales derived from that. Now we're seeing it upwards of you know 18, 20 percent of right. e-com sales. And quite frankly, for holiday, I wouldn't be surprised if it was significantly more than that. Yeah. Uh, which I know we'll talk about some of the challenges with the emergence of, you know, increased usage of the service. Um, so what they started to do was instead of creating these in-store moments for pickup, we'll bring out the goods to the curb. And now you're starting to see customers just literally pull up outside the store and have the goods loaded into their car. Um, part of that challenge has always been, does the store know you actually have the inventory that the website has? Right. So that's a very early challenge where they would say this is available in these three stores, which may or may not have been where the customer wanted to go. Right. And then also, they we're not fully equipping a lot of the employees uh, to manage this service at scale. Right. They would just designate runners throughout the store to pull these, you know, pull and cook these orders, and then you know wait for the customer to call them and say that they were there, and then make that transaction. Uh, so the whole Bopus, Bopac, while elements of these have been around, um, the the necessity for the retail industry, particularly in Q4, to figure mm. this out at a whole new customer experience level um, is very, very critical. Uh, and honestly, a huge opportunity for building loyalty um, and, and engagement with customers when we come out of the pandemic. How are they going to engage and stay loyal to the customer? And there's a whole slew of pros and cons with, you know, with the, the new, I'll say, BOPAC, because the curbside is a bit prominent. For BOPAC, um, you know, one of the, the key priorities here is that it has social distancing built right into it, right? So yeah. you don't have to worry about all the regulations and, you know, cleanliness and store practices and operational considerations. You also have sort of the emergence of micro-fulfillment with BOPAC, where you're starting to use the stores as legitimate fulfillment centers which we've heard about in the industry for quite a while, but it's never really come into fruition. Um, right. Australia happens to be a little bit ahead of the game. Um, so they have uh, Accent Group, which owns um, like Athletes Foot and a whole portfolio of other brands. Um, they've implemented dark store, which are not open to customers any longer. And they reconfigure the merchandising not for consumer interface, but for efficiency and pick and pull. So Kids that might not normally be merchandised together would right. be in this scenario just because it's a lot more timely and efficient. And they're shaving, you know, 10 minutes off of a fulfillment uh, by yeah. So there's another benefit to, you know, leveraging GoPack where you can really enhance your real estate rather than closing some of these critical stores. Hmm. Uh, another key advantage of GoPack is the fact that you um, have a lot more operational efficiency in the sense that you can have extended hours. You can operate these 24-7. Um, the fact that you don't need as many employees to operate these, so they're much more cost efficient. And the cost of fulfillment uh, and impact to the margins is very different. So mm. for a traditional, you know, BOPAC order in the grocery industry, for instance, to fulfill a grocery order is around $7. Um, where you're really just having the labor pull things and have it ready for the customer to come and get it. If right. you were to ship that or have home delivery, it could be as high as $21. So not yeah. only is this kind of methodology beneficial for 
the customer at this stage, but it's also operationally very efficient. Like at the beginning of the conversation, we were saying, is this good for the customer or is it good for the company? In the case of well-performed BOPAC, it's good for both of them. Right. Um, but some of the downsides of this, um, which I know we kind of wanted to talk about, sort of go forward on holiday, but some of the major downsides is that there's no customer experience with BOPAC. You know, I jokingly said you drive through and they throw the stuff in your trunk through your window. Um, one of the major considerations here is that fraud is two to three times higher with a BOPAC order because the whole validation process and systems for validation at the register is very different. Um, so that's a consideration that retailers need to take into effect. Um, parking lot congestion is going to be unbelievably um, uh, a challenge because now you're not just having one retailer like Bombay or Print Barrel Restoration Hardware have one customer. You're going to have lines apart that may or may not be in fire zones. Um, yes. So that's going to be a huge consideration, particularly in outlet centers and uh, strip centers where you have multiple big box players in the same, you know, parking vicinity. Um, there's not going to be any impulse to buy, uh, or there's very limited impulse and queue lines mm -hmm. in BOPAC. And retailers are really using focus and a lot of the queue lines to get that one or two more items and grow the basket and increase the average order value. Um, right. And that's not something we're seeing right now in BOPAC. Um, and then honestly, you know, where's the Christmas experience in this? You know, I, I've been on a lot of webinars and industry events, and I'm not really hearing a lot of retailers talking about how do we enhance the customer experience as they go through this go pack? Not just the logistics of the traffic and, you know, how are we managing the transaction and fraud minimization, but, you know, are there going to be garland arches and parking lot music piping out? Are your employees going to be dressed as elves? Are you going to have, you know, last minute gifts set up at a table or pack only, you know, offers where it's available only on pickup at curb. So there's a lot of consideration that needs to go in in a very short period of time. Um, the, the good news is a lot of retailers have figured this out almost instantly from Mark Ford. I mean, you have brands like Dick Sporting Group that just launched Bopac. In yeah. March, and they're seeing upwards of, you know, 30% increases on their, you know, their internet sales as a result of being able to fulfill those orders. Right. And I think it was, um, I'm either giving one brand the attention it doesn't deserve in this scenario or another one. Uh, this is up here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, Water. we talked before the session that uh, Lucille is kicking the keg. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but it was one of the two, Costco or Sam's Club. I, can't, I think it's Sam's Clubs that did a uh, – you, you drive up to the store, you fill out on a tablet, or you talk to someone who's, who's holding a tablet, and they place the order with you in person. Uh, so you have that sort of exchange, granted safely, maybe through a window, uh, and then you're able to uh, get those products put into your trunk of your car. So, you know, that felt like kind of a concierge service that not many are necessarily doing the exact same thing, but it was a way to stand out and – I thought it sounded pretty impactful for one of them. One yeah, of them being it's not scalable, though. It's not right. scalable because you're going to have checkouts, you know, in excess of 15, 20 minutes, depending right. on the engagement of that shopping experience. So, and I, I was reading this morning that Walmart has uh, been rated very highly for having addressed mm -hmm. the problem that you mentioned, many labeled parking spots for these sorts of pickups and these sorts of exchanges. And they've thought that through, which you might expect someone like Walmart to probably have done. 
any of the grocery um, stores, you know, Walmart, Target, that has the grocery aspect, Whole Foods, um, they figured this out well ahead of time. And I'd like to say it was out of necessity, but right. my guess is it was probably more around that $21 and $7 cost fulfillment. Mm. Where they saw this as an extreme, extremely operationally efficient and cost-effective way to service the customer. And um, because they had that in place, because they already had the parking lot stalls and a lot of the logistics figured out, um, doing this for regular commodity goods was a no-brainer. It was easily scaled. Um, but then the majority of retailers are figuring this out you know, as we speak. Uh, they're still trying to see how do we manage this new way of retail outside of retail. Um, right. So it's going to be very interesting on um, how they leverage that experience outside the store. And I can tell you one thing that I am hearing a lot about is the geofencing and geotargeting around the store as a means to enhance that customer engagement. So you encourage the customer to download your app so they don't have the burden of calling you when they're in the queue line outside. Um, the app will recognize that they're near the store and that order could be fulfilled much more quickly. Mm. They anticipate that you're pulling in and you're ready to receive your order. Um, and then the other component of that, which again, I'm not hearing too much about, but I have to believe you're working on it, is that post-purchase engagement. Mm. Uh, we're used to getting a thank you for your order, you left things in your cart basket, um, hey, we haven't heard from you in a while, those automated right. transactional emails from a user experience on a website. I've done a lot of BOPAC orders, and I don't get any of those, mm. hey, how was your curbside experience? Did you forget anything? We'll, we'll deliver it to you. Like Ace Hardware does that with paint. If you come and pick up paints, but you didn't order enough, yeah. you come back to the store, they'll give you the, they'll come and deliver the extra gallon. That kind of post-purchase engagement, particularly with BOPAC, is going to be critical, not just from a customer service standpoint, but also to make up the revenue you're not getting from impulse and, quite frankly, Black Friday and the day after Christmas when you have mm. of people coming in the store. So figuring that out now and before the season starts could make all the difference with a really strong Q4 and an early Q1 uh, ramp-up. So um, it's funny, you've talked about impulse buys a few times. I, the way I imagine it, and this is just my opinion, is being on my couch with my mobile phone, that's the fastest way of you know having some impulse buys and adding things to my carts that maybe in a store I'd look at and uh, pick it up, put it down, put it away. Uh, but you're seeing it as a, you know, a detriment possibly to these retailers who don't have people in the store to get the pack of Skittles or, as a bad example on the way to the cashier or something like that that would drive a little bit more business. Yeah, I mean, the, the emergence of the queue lines really increased the average units per transaction and, and average order value, um, mm. simply because they became like this monstrous grid of just, I wouldn't say crap, Stop. you know, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Dix has an enormous line that everything from, you know, sports bubble gum to basketballs. Right. Um, Bed Bath & Beyond has it, obviously. Pretty much every retailer has implemented subtype of either at the register or at the queue line impulse item. Um, it seems almost like an internal challenge to see who can have the longest line with stuff. <laughs> well, right? It's turned into a maze at this point. <laughs> well, it worked, right? And you're yeah. not going to have that now. And, and I would argue a little bit that the mobile and or web experience of buying is not the same as impulse. The may we recommend or would you want batteries for that? Um, that's just sort of standard customer service, mm. but it's really about, do you want the stress ball? 
you know, which you probably weren't going to shop for or even look at online. Right. Register, you might be like, oh, yeah, I, I need this. And they're going to miss that. But I do think one thing that they could start to consider is the geofencing, mm. where you can prompt, hey, in the next hour, we're offering these five items only for our BOPAC customers. And they can engage right there and then and give the runner time to get that and add it to their order. Now, yes, there's going to be some checkout issues with going back into the transaction and uh, working out that logistic. But I think those considerations need to be had right. uh, because you're going to lose a lot of that. You're going to lose a lot of the candy at checkouts and you know the little as seen on TV gadgets and stuff like that. Mm. So uh, tell me, Lucille. How do you see customer expectations evolving into 2021? And who do you feel is doing a good job at this point? I know you've kind of talked about Ace Hardware and the little things that they are doing yeah. in the years, but uh, anything else to share on that? Um, you know, I'll, I'll share two antidotes. Uh, one I think was just interesting because it wasn't curbside shopping, it was storefront shopping, similar mm -hmm. to what you were saying. But um, I actually did venture into a mall. Um, I was going through withdrawal, so I had to have the experience of a mall. It was, it was basically me. Yeah. <laughs> it was my lifelong dream of being trapped in an empty mall by myself. Yes. Um, and I went to the Lush store, and because it's such a tactile product, they weren't even letting people in the store. Forget social distancing or masks or gloves. You couldn't even go in the store. But they were open. And they set up just this tabletop concierge storefront selling where – they, I would say, I'm interested in a mask and I'm looking for a gift for my nephew and I wanted some soap. And she came back with a palette of all different options. And I literally did a transaction without ever going into the store, but I felt like I was shopping and I was engaging with her. Um, so I think there's something to be said about um, storefront shopping as opposed to curbside shopping. Right. And then Lululemon just, you know, every time I turn the corner, I'm like, never could things be so much more expensive than, you know, a lot of other like products. And yeah. yet you feel the need that you want that. You want to be right. part of the community. You want part of that store environment. So I think they're getting it right. Um, through the sense of community, not through the sense of aggressive marketing. Hmm. Um, and not even so much from customer service. I can say that their talent is any better or worse than a lot of other best-in-class stores I've seen. But I do think that they've built this very, very tight sense of community. And I don't think a lot of other retailers have figured out, other than their loyalty clubs, which I don't see as a fundamental go-forward format for success. Um, I do see the, ne the need, as I started saying earlier, for belonging and connection and human, inter and human interaction, that right. the, the concept of community, the concept of human contact, of hearing a loud voice at the end of the phone. Um, I think that's going to be what separates retailers and brands go forward. Mm. The, the expectations of the customer are immediate fulfillment, solve my problems. I think this holiday season, it's going to be a lot around when is my stuff coming just because of the onslaught of the bottleneck of shipping and everything that we're hearing with postal delays and, and right. search orders around um, all the carrier services. But I do think that we're going to have to answer all of these questions relatively quickly. And those chatbots and automated systems and hanging up on me again, mm. okay. um, I think we're going to find that people are going to long more for the sense of, I'm in this with you, um, and I hear where you are, and here's the information we have, and just really staying engaged and building that sense of community. You know, one of the most powerful um, 
sentences I heard in most of my webinars, and it's one of the most simple, was just ask the customer for forgiveness. Hmm. No, at some point, but you, if you apologize and you ask for their partnership and just say, we're so sorry, we're figuring this out, what can we do to make this better for you? You'd be surprised how just asking, engaging, and building that community, how far that goes in some of the imperfections that we're going to have to live through. Right, being honest and upfront, right, absolutely. And yeah. like you said, this is new for everyone. So yeah. uh, I think setting the expectation is important. Uh, one last thing I'll share with you because it was a personal experience and I thought you'd find it kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I love going to L.L. Bean. I'm in, right now I'm in North Andover, Massachusetts. L.L. Bean in Freeport is about, I don't know, hour and 15, 20 minutes away. But my wife is from Maine, so we shoot up to Maine a lot. And uh, we stopped in an L.L. Bean because, you know, they've got, uh, obviously they're known for the tremendous customer experience and their stores are kind of neat. It was our first real experience going in a store in a while. And my wife was looking at a couch. So we wanted to actually go see the couch that they were selling at LLB. But we got there and it said labeled in three or four spots, do not sit on the couch at all. So I'm in a tough scenario where are we going to buy this somewhat expensive couch without being able to sit on it? Uh, luckily we were able to get the permission of, um, a sales associate eventually to run it by the manager that we can test it out before using it. But I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, predicament to be in when you've got these high value items that people want to sit in and feel and touch uh, and you can't do it. Yeah, you know, you know um, Bowling Branch is a brand that I, I follow very aggressively because I think they just do so many things right. They're the first retailer to use this new sanitization light. Um, so mm. I think technology is now going to solve a lot of those showrooming problems. Um, so their light system, I have three new flagship stores, and in their new stores they have um, lights that literally will disinfect um, the entire store environment, which will kind of solve the problem. And um, So go to a ball and branch store, they'll let you touch the towel. Um, <laughs> You have to down before you walk yeah. in. <laughs> I, was, uh, I had never seen anything like it. It was like, so how do I, and I, I actually asked the gentleman, how do I make a confident purchase without being able to use it? And he, you know, like you had mentioned, he had to say, I'm sorry, I don't know quite what to recommend. Let me go talk to someone else. Uh, but Lucille, I don't want to keep you for much longer. Uh, Fritz, do we have any questions after our segment for today? He usually puts up a little one-liner. Okay, there it is. So <laughs> this moment, uh, Lucille, so thank you so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure to have you. And uh, I've really, as I mentioned, I admired your work and I'm super excited to see where you decide to go next. Uh, and uh, thank you again for joining and sharing your expertise on the buy online, pick up and store and Bopac, as well as what brands are doing moving forward. Thank great. you, Lucille. Thank you for having me. I appreciate Absolutely. it. So uh, our next session next Tuesday is with Nate Brown, the Chief Experience Officer at Officium Labs. Uh, you probably know Nate. Look him up. He's a CX leader, innovator. He's all over the internet, all over LinkedIn, uh, big red beard. Uh, but Nate is going to join us to talk about lighting the experience fire and lighting the customer experience. So if you've enjoyed any part of our program today, we'd love, of course, a share, like, subscribe. And uh, be sure to ask questions into our live feed. You have a chance to ask questions directly to Lucille or the iAdvise team. Uh, but thank you again for joining us today. It was a pleasure.